Welcome to 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I set 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 17. We'll be starting in verse 8. The people of Israel are in the wilderness. If you have a Bible that has maps in the back, or I guess you could just open up Google Maps on your phone or tablet, but if you look between the land of Egypt and Israel is a large desert. The, the Negev Desert is a massive wilderness area, inhospitable. The people of Israel have been released from slavery, but they are not yet in the promised land. On their way, they are vulnerable. They have no fortified cities. They have no great stockpiles. They are a large traveling mass of humanity. Oregon, of course, is the the end of the Oregon Trail. I fully admit I grew up playing Oregon Trail um, on on old, you know, first-generation Apple computers at school. My kids have a a handheld version of Oregon Trail now, and, um, you know, I I admit I pick it up sometimes and I play it. We we have a heritage of this sort of pilgrimage, but when the, the pioneers were crossing in the covered wagons... There were tens and twenties and maybe a hundred. It wasn't massive, hundreds of thousands. Some estimate even a million or two million. But this massive group of humanity was vulnerable. And in verse 8, it says that the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rapidium. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Now, Joshua, of course, becomes a big figure in the Bible. There's the book of Joshua. Joshua figures later as one of the 12 spies sent in to search out the promised land. But here we find that Joshua is already a young man who is serving Moses, uh, who is a young leader of his people. And Moses said to Joshua, verse 9, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So apparently, the people of Israel and Moses saw something special about the staff. This is the same staff that God had said, throw it down in front of Pharaoh and it will turn into a snake. And then Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing with their staffs, only the the snake that had been the staff of Moses devoured the magician's snakes and then turned back into a staff. The same staff Moses had stretched out his hand and the Red Sea had parted. The same staff, God told him, take that staff in your hand. If you were with us uh, last week and he struck the rock and water poured out and the people of Israel had enough to drink. We don't know anything other than they believed there was power in that staff. 
Some people have speculated that there is something within human beings that need what's been referred to as a point of contact or a point of activation for our faith. That there is nothing particularly special. Maybe if you remember the book of Acts, there's a weird story where a, a handkerchief or, or some sort of cloth that had been touched by one of the apostles was brought and that they touched the sick with it and the sick were healed. There's nothing special about that cloth. There's nothing special in and of themselves about the apostles, only the work that God does through people. Yet there are times where it seems like people need a point of contact, a point of activation for their faith that the people's courage would be bolstered because they saw Moses with the staff. It's very tempting, though, for us to take things that are good and then start to exalt them above where they should be. It was only a staff. The power came from God. Yet Moses knew that this was something that would bolster the people. And so... Verse 11 says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on each side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I want to say a few things here. First is that Moses was the leader of the people, but he could not do everything. And he had a team around him. He had a team. He had Joshua going out to lead the army. Moses was not a young man at this point. Joshua was. There are things that are left to those of us who are young. And it's a challenge. Let's say you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, even if you're in your teens. If your parents have always done everything for you, there comes a point where it's your turn to step up. And that is the challenge as we are in a generational handoff from the boomers to the millennials. The challenge is for the millennials and the Gen X aged folks to step up and say it's our turn now. We can't rely on those who have done it in the past. My, my grandmother, my grandfather, my father, my mother, my uncle, my, the, the, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Joe and, 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 and his wife, they've always done everything in the church. And now it's time for us to step up and take the reins. There are things that are only for a young person to do. Young believers need to step up for the moments that this is for us. There are, are things within the life of a church, of a ministry, that only people who have that youthful strength and vigor can achieve. Only single people can do certain things. Only young people can do certain things because that time uh, for the people who were doing that has passed. When I was single, I was, uh, I spent all of, uh, from, from age 29 to, from age 19 to 29, I was, I, I, I was serving the Lord. Uh, I was not married. And, and most of my 20s, it wasn't that I just wasn't married. It was that there was no serious relationship going on. And in that time, I had the freedom, mission trips. I lived abroad as a missionary for several years. I had a freedom to move and go and operate in a way that I do, 
did not have once I became married because now I have to, uh, it's not just me making the decision, but Angie and I have to make that decision. And then when my kids come along, uh, you know, I, I can't just go do this thing or pick up or drop the hat because I have to think about my kids. There are different seasons of life. Joshua was in a season of life to go to war. Moses was not. Moses had a team around him. And I think that, that building a team together, building a team wherever you're at, that should be the goal. The Lone Ranger should be the exception rather than the rule. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it in the Gospels. Jesus pulled a team around him. And when he sent them out, he sent them out in twos. He didn't send them out by themselves. He sent them out together so that we could rely on each other's strength. It's interesting to note that whenever Moses' hands were raised, they were winning. And whenever he got tired and lowered his hands, they began to lose. I do not know whether that was a psychological thing. The people of Israel saw Moses raising the staff of God and it just bolstered their courage or whether there was a spiritual element. I am, I'm not sure. I do know this, that when Moses began to fail, his team lifted up his arms. His team came around him. If the strength of Faith on Hill Church is just in me, then we're not very strong. If the strength in Faith on Hill Church is just in whoever the next pastor is, and I'm not planning on leaving or anything like that, but I'm, at some point, every pastor is an is a interim pastor when you think about it. It wasn't in Pastor Bob, our previous pastor. It wasn't in, it's not in me. It's not in whoever succeeds me in the future. And if it is, then we are weak. But if the strength of our church is our, our family, our Christian church family, our team that we build together, then I believe we are strong in the Lord as God gives us grace. Now, what does it look like to hold up someone's arms? I think we can look around and say, how can we help each other? How can we help bear each other's burdens? How can we pray for each other and encourage each other? It doesn't take you being around our church long to have Greg Wilson ask how he can pray for you. If, if Greg's listening, thank you, brother. We love it. Keep it up. To have the humility to say, Greg, this is how you can pray for me, or whoever. Or, or to go up to somebody that you have connection with, somebody in your home group, uh, somebody, somebody that you, you build a relationship with, and you say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Can you pray for me? To have those relationships built up. To look around and say, how can I help? What can I do? How can I be part of something? They were able to succeed, not because of Moses' strength, but because of the strength of the team. If it was up to Moses, they would have failed. Aaron and Hur brought their strength to the battle. Joshua brought his strength to the battle, and together they were able to succeed. After the battle is over, verse 14, the Lord says to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under the heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So what this is saying is the Amalekites had gone up against God and his people 
And God is now declaring a judgment against the Amalekites and saying that he will wipe them out. And the reason Moses says, make sure Joshua hears this, is because Joshua will be the one to lead the people into the promised land, and he will carry out God's judgment. That is a hard verse, a hard concept for some. You know, it's funny. Some things in the Bible are easy for a person to accept, and some things are hard. And then you go to another person, they say, oh, I don't have any problem with that. This is the thing I have problem with. For some people, this part of the Bible is extremely troubling. The conquest of the promised land, the annihilation of people groups. God kills people. Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. Herod in the book of Acts. This isn't just Old Testament. There, there is not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. I know that, there, that thinking still exists in places. The God of the Hebrew Bible is the same God of the Gospels, the book of Acts, the epistles. The God of the Old Covenant is the God of the New Covenant. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. He has given these people hundreds of years to repent. We learned that when we studied the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings last year at Faith on Hill. He has given these people hundreds of years to repent and they have not. In fact, they have gone against God's people. And don't think that they didn't know. Pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day, the parting of the Red Sea, miraculous provision. Don't think they didn't know. They went directly against God and his people. And so God is saying, there is going to come a time where I'm going to wipe these people out. And I will admit that I have a hard time with that. But I know the goodness of God, the love of God, the justice of God, the fairness of God. So I, in faith, where I struggle with those things, have to then say, God, these are my struggles. These are my concerns. I trust you that you were completely fair and just in that moment. I was not there when you laid the foundations of the world. I was not there when you set the stars in place. I was not there when you created all things. Who am I? Who am I to judge you? But I'll admit it's hard. Now the reason that Joshua needed to hear it is because he would be carrying it out. It's our job to pass on to the next generation the truths that God has given us. And the next generation of the church carries on the work that the previous generations were not able to complete. Verse, 18, uh, verse 1, chapter 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything that God had done for Moses and the people of Israel and how God had brought Israel out of Egypt. Verse 2. After Moses sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons, one son named Gershom, for Moses had said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, 
He said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he had camped near the mountain of God. Jethro sent word to him, I am your father-in-law Jethro. I'm coming with your wife and two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they greeted each other, and they went into the tent, and Moses told his father-in-law about everything that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships that they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, who rescued you who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Moses' father-in-law brought burnt offerings and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all of the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. There's a lot of interesting things here. I don't believe that we knew up till this point that Moses had sent his wife and children away. There are times when the Bible is descriptive. It tells us what happened. And there's times when the Bible is prescriptive. It tells us what was supposed to happen or what we're supposed to do. Here, the Bible is only descriptive. It doesn't give us a, this was a good idea or this was a bad idea. It could be easy. I could, I could preach a whole sermon about lack of faith. I could preach a whole sermon about the wisdom of Moses and sending his wife and kids away. I don't know. It just, that's what he did. I do think the more interesting thing is that Moses' father, Jethro, was not of the people of Israel. He's of the tribe of Midian. He was not Jewish. And yet, he was a priest of God. We know that in Abraham's day, Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, which is where Jerusalem is now located, that he was a priest of God. It's interesting to me that there was apparently the worship of God outside of the people of Israel. Yet Jethro recognized that Israel was God's people. I am theologically what's called a dispensationalist, although I am very, very loose with that term. The idea is that God seems to work in different segments or dispensations of time. And apparently, out of all the people in the world, God called Abraham and his descendants to be his special people. But there were believers in God and worshipers of God outside of this. We know Jethro, we know Melchizedek, we know some others. So, God worked through his people, and now we are in a dispensation of time where God is working through the church. And I believe God still has a plan for the people of Israel, and that God will remove the church from the scene in what's called the rapture. And I don't have time to get into that, but if you have questions, you can send me an email, adam at faithonhill.com. And God will again use his people. Salvation doesn't come, though, through the church. God's doing his primary work through the church, but it comes through Jesus, not through the church. So it gives me great hope 
You know, we often wonder about people in foreign places. It gives me great hope that God's doing a work because we know we have glimpses through Jethro, through Melchizedek. We have glimpses that God is doing a bigger work than we see here. But that being said, if you place your faith in anyone other than Jesus Christ, you have no hope. Jethro was a priest of the true God. Melchizedek, though not Jewish, a priest of the true God, the God of the Jews. And we serve the Messiah of the Jews, the Savior of the Jewish people, Jesus Christ. I want to say thank you for joining us once again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study Podcast. New episodes are released every Thursday. You can find the audio version at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Video version is released on our Facebook page. Or you can check out faithonhill.com. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor of Faith on Hill Church. We'll see you next week for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.